One Week Season. up OWS fam welcome back to the reflection pod I'm your host Beefritz 12 and right here right now we are talking about week 13 we are just inching towards the playoffs here towards the end of the year uh, it's December this is crazy but yeah I'm really interested to talk about this slate I should probably you know apparently this is just uh, a standard line I use and just, you know, I'll just slot that into my, my intro here. But um, no, I'm, I'm <laughs> excited to talk about this in a couple different ways. I think it was a really interesting slate in that we had a lot of the game environments kind of fail. Uh, nothing was really, nothing really stuck out. We had a an interesting kind of situation where there were no true shootouts and the only games that had teams score over 30 points had point differentials of 16 or more Uh, 16 being san francisco over miami philly being 25 over the titans and jacksonville being 26 over the lions Um, so just yeah really kind of different So I think there's a handful of things to dig into here. So go ahead and throw this on 1.5 speed and let's get into it. So our first segment here, uh, I'm really excited to announce, is now going to be called Strat and Chat. Eh? Eh? What do you think? Uh, I felt really, really smart when I was sitting on the toilet this morning, writing down my notes and came up with this. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I really hate naming things and I feel like I'm bad at it. So, uh, this one just kind of came to me. So any, anytime it's even like halfway decent, I just get really excited. So it probably sucks. Uh, but here, here we go. We have two segments now <laughs> that are named in Stratton chat. Then we go into, uh, fluke or fail. We talk about 30 plus point guys on DraftKings, and we'll finish up with some lineup reviews. So today in our strat and chat section, what are we going to talk about? Well, I want to dig a little bit more into this, what made this week kind of weird from a results standpoint. We had some really obvious game environments to target, especially in the late games there. They were just kind of head and shoulders above the rest but that wasn't how it played out. And it's pretty rare that we get a week like this where none of those really pan out. Uh, and there was no kind of a game environment that you had to be on. And what's interesting about this is that even though that is the case, there were still high scoring players. You know, we have a, a longer list of 30 plus point guys for fluke or fail than we did last week. Uh, so it's just something that immediately sticks out and I think is worth diving into a little bit more. So I'll be talking a little bit more about my play this weekend, some good and bad things about that. And But before we get into that, I, I want to kind of talk about this from a game environment standpoint. 
uh, you know, we talked about this a handful of weeks back about how identifying game environments is so important. This is not new. This is something that we talk about at OWS all the time. Uh, instead of just kind of taking one-off plays and throwing all these guys in a roster, we want to identify these environments and these teams and these situations that have a high chance of succeeding so that we can get one thing right instead of having to try to get multiple things right on a given roster. So let's look at what let's we're just going to do a quick high level rundown of these scores and uh, kind of like what that feels like on the surface. And if that's what we are expecting, is that different? Is it outside of the range of expectations, etc.? So we've got Packers, Bears, 28 to 19. This one I feel like is pretty much par for the course. Uh, you know, if you play this out a hundred times, this is very, very much within where we would expect it to fall. So nothing explosive here. Win from the Packers, uh, a kind of regular Justin Fields performance, and not not anything too out of the ordinary there. Steelers at Falcons. Steelers 19, Falcons 16. Again, this game is, I'd say, pretty much within the realm of what was possible there. Two teams who... Uh, don't really have identities at this point. Neither one can we expect to really come in and uh, wow us. Uh, the Steelers have, you know, we've been kind of excited about them because they have this raw potential on offense, but it is still quite raw. And despite the Falcons not having a great defense, Steelers fell flat, uh, kind of like they did against the Colts. But uh, again, in this spot, Nothing too out of the ordinary here. Jaguars, Big L, 14 points scored against the Lions, who put up 40. This one, I think, was pretty surprising to most. At least it seemed like a game that would play close, you know, kind of a barbell distribution in terms of, yeah, these teams are finding their identity uh, but definitely not elite, so could be on the lower scoring side, you know, some dead drives and stuff like that. But also could play to the higher end because they do have a lot of talent on the offensive sides of the balls. And teams that are, like I said, are finding their identity and figuring out how to win. So it seemed like at least this game was going to be pretty back and forth and, you know, had, had a wide range of potential outcomes. I think this is also uh, more of like a pace up game. So there was that going for it. But we had the Lions who are just so hot right now. Hansel is so hot right now. Uh, yeah, I'm not a good movie line guy, but Zoolander, right? Uh, so kind of crazy there. Kind of crazy. If you played Lions, guys, you're feeling pretty good about it. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, obviously really good in this spot got some swift action in there jaguars coming back was just really a bummer i am just because i've talked about it a lot on this podcast i'm not the football expert here you guys need to go to the edge for all of that but to me i am no longer using the lines defense as a cheat code and you, you'll probably know that I've flipped that a little bit after the Thanksgiving slate and just seeing, you know, actually being able to watch 
the how they matched up against Buffalo. And even though Allen hasn't really looked the same, it's still the Buffalo Bills offense and the Lions looked really good defensively against them. And so I was kind of taking that seriously. And at this point, I definitely, you know, that's that's definitely crossed off my list. Uh, the Lions are no longer a cheat code, at least for me. <clears throat> All right, Vikings winning a close one over the Jets, 27 to 22. Yeah, I think this is very much in the range of expected outcomes here. Uh, the Jets have a good defense. I'm trying to get a figure out on offense, but they've been able to with Mike White at quarterback. The Vikings don't have a great defense. They do have a good offense, but just haven't uh, have shown cracks, basically. And so very much that think that this one played to right about where we could have expected it to. Also, just as a note, the Jets pieces were all cheap and so viable in this spot, but something to note that if they weren't so cheap, easily fadeable pieces uh, with how popular they were looking to be, given that the Jets are still the Jets and probably, while definitely an upgrade to Mike White, I'm probably not going to be putting up 30 plus points all that often. Commanders, Giants tied. So 20 points. I feel like this is pretty much exactly what we would have expected from this game. Just like not not having a winner from this game. Yep. Makes sense. Not much else to be said there. Titans getting smashed by the Eagles. 35 to 10. This is actually like exactly what I thought the score would be. I don't know that that was necessarily where everybody was at with it. I don't even remember what the, the line on this one was, or this, but <clears throat> I think this was very much within the realm of outcomes and probably the most um, where this was going to play out to, or at least close to majority of times. Just a smash spot here. And this is one that I actually want to come back to because I think this is interesting when we are looking at game environments as a whole and just team totals by themselves. And I'm talking about this because of the Hertz AJB stack that was the highest scoring, at least from a stack standpoint, on the slate, but probably wasn't played by many because it wasn't a quote-unquote good game environment slash shootout. Broncos Ravens. <laughs> Again, one of these games where... Uh, did have a bit of a, a barbell to this one, played to the very low side. This one also went a little sideways with <clears throat> injuries for the Ravens, uh, but ended up in them pulling it out 10 to 9. In general, there wasn't ever really all that much to love from this game standpoint. I think that some people may have gone to uh, Lamar and Andrews here on a a crappier slate, but on this slate, I don't think we were really looking at that spot for any true goodness. Browns, Texans. Browns 27, Texans 14. This one, again, I think is very much within the realm of what we could expect it to play out to. I do think that people probably overweighted the Browns coming in and just smashing 
Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson hasn't played football in quite some time and game speed is different than practice speed. So even though he wasn't injured or anything like that, it still makes a difference. Granted, this game speed, quote unquote, was against the Texans. Uh, however, it just, you know, it was a transition. And while they had the ability to blow up here, I don't think it was ever in the most likely scenario. So again, pretty much within the realm or at least close to what we would have expected there. Seahawks 27, Rams 23. Well, this game was certainly much closer than I was expecting it to be. And I think probably most of the rest of us, the field. Um, yeah, you know, essentially I figured the Seahawks would probably be scoring 27 and just figured the Rams would have about 10 or 13 less points than they did. So, uh, so-so on that one, right? We kind of landed a little bit where we thought, but not fully because the Rams were able to put up more of a fight here than we thought. Uh, I don't have the examples off the top of my head, but I've noted a couple of these moments recently, and I've, it, for whatever reason, it feels like it's happening to me more than it has in the past with good teams really kind of overlooking their easier matchups on paper and just kind of not showing up prepared. You know, I think it was noted that with the Eagles on that uh, primetime game with the Texans, there was uh, even the the Cowboys even seemed like that a little bit last night initially against the Colts. Uh, So anyways, just I think it's notable in those situations for like going forward that uh, we don't overweight the favorites too, too heavily just because that is human nature and it does happen uh, even to the most professional of teams. And I'm looking at you, Eagles. I think <laughs> they shocked everybody with that Texans game. All right. Here's a good one. 49ers 33, Dolphins 17. Well, this game, while this is within the realm of possibility, I feel like uh, wasn't the most likely Similar to the Jaguars-Lions game, this was a game that had kind of a barbell feel to it. Could have ended up on the lower end, could have ended up on the higher end, but either way, you figured that these teams were probably playing alongside each other and pushing each other to those levels, kind of like wherever they ended up at. So to have this uh, a 16-point differential is not definitely not what I was expecting. Uh, this game, I was really... Uh, chomping at the bit to get over the field on the Dolphins, who I thought would be able to take advantage of this really, really strong 49ers defense more so than most other teams and trusted that McDaniels would be able to stretch the field in ways that other teams would struggle to. So I didn't get the chance to watch any of this game and haven't seen any of it yet, so I'm not fully sure as uh, to how this all this played out. Um, but I was certainly excited to see that there was a 75-yard touchdown scored and not excited to see the but that it was by Sherfield and not Waddle or Tyreek. Um, but with that starting the game, uh, yeah, it felt like it was going to be right where I thought it was going to be uh, at the get-go, which uh, just to mention that the a high-scoring back-and-forth game wasn't necessarily the most probable outcome here either, but you know something like a 27-24 was probably the um, kind of like a, a median or an average those are different I know um, with like with where this game would have played out so 
uh, yeah, a little bit weird there. And I think a lot of OWS was kind of on this also. Chiefs Bengals, the Chiefs take another L to Joe Burrow, 24 to 27. JM, uh, hats off to him for pointing out that this game could play under what the field's expectations for it were. Uh, this was something that I didn't really fully come around on myself until the end of the weekend, but and then it was too late to really switch out, swap out of it. But really, given the state of the slate, this game just had so many other signs of goodness compared to what was going on here. And so uh, while this is definitely within the realm of what we or what would be possible for this game, I think that it's still underplayed a little bit in that uh, there's just so many signs pointing to this going over where it was here and ending up being a bit more of a shootout environment. So obviously this had a large effect on the slate. And then finally, we've got Raiders Chargers, Raiders 27, Chargers 20. This game surprised me potentially even more than the Chiefs and Bengals as these two teams have just been really struggling uh, defensively, but have really strong offenses. So I thought this game was going to go kind of off the rails, uh, something like a 34, 31, or potentially even more than that, just because of how these teams set up. So there we go. Uh, I don't have a ton of really specific pieces that I want to talk about this. I've got a couple, but this was more so just to take a look at where these games were at and just from a high level, say, is this slate what we think it was? Like, where did this end up on a, you know, the spectrum of most likely to least likely? How did we get to the results that we got to? And it's going to be really beneficial on a weekend that felt really wonky, that scored much higher or much lower than we thought, or, you know, in this exact example where multiple game environments didn't hit that we thought would hit. And, by doing that, we can kind of orient ourselves with the reality instead of looking at my lineup, your, you know, our lineups and being like, I thought I, I created these so sharply. Uh, what happened here? How did I fail? I really felt good about this, which is a perfect segue into my weekend. So this weekend for me was kind of unique in that uh, two things. I, first of all, I did not get started until late in the week. Last week, if you hung out, you'll know that I, by design, didn't do a whole bunch in terms of process and things like that. Uh, but this week, that was not the case. Just uh, had a crazy week and didn't get around to things. So my process was way behind. But number two, I had nine tickets to the FanDuel WFFC qualifier. So $15 tickets, nine tickets was a lot for me in terms of I normally don't build that many lineups, especially not in a given like a single contest. So I really opened my uh, or I approached this with open arms. Uh, I was really excited 
about the opportunity that this gave me to try to play a little bit differently. And it's kind of funny because after last week, I mentioned that one of the things I think is kind of a weakness for me is uh, my ability to build a portfolio of lineups. So to build lineups that play off of one another to, you know, so not just building nine individual lineups, but nine lineups that are going to like, I will have the chance to win within those lineups. The idea is not to um, win with all. I mean, that'd be great if it happened, but the idea is to at least vault a couple of those to the top of the contest. So going into the weekend, I was excited about this. I felt really good given the games that were there. I thought that the late games were just so much better in terms of game environment and ceiling. And I thought that provided a kind of nice differentiator. I think in general, the field likes to try to balance their lineups across games, across the the slate. Uh, So I kind of welcomed this uh, late game heavy approach and just felt really, really strongly about how those games set up. And I was really confident that I could get at least one or two of these lineups out of nine into the top few percent. So uh, this was a field of 4,000, had to get in the top 200 in order to snag a uh, ticket worth 250 bucks. So top 5%, so not easy by any means, uh, but doable. And so I went into the weekend with my goal being two of nine. It felt very realistic. Uh, It felt like Given everything I liked from the week, I could definitely build lineups that would uh, allow at least, like I said, one or two of those to rise to the top. The results were disappointing. Uh, (laughs) Pretty, pretty disappointing. So I got zero. Zero of nine, which really hurts. It's really, I feel like my... Uh, You know, we talked last week about being profitable and sharp and uh, this really just kind of hit my my DFS heart. And I was like, oof, (laughs) Uh, it makes me feel like a bad DFS player. Um, So this, I think, is really important. And this is kind of like why I started with the game overview. And I think, you know, we all have kind of an idea of, oh, this is kind of weird that all these potential good game environments played down, you know, they they kind of all didn't hit, which is kind of a a rare thing. You know, usually you'll still get one or two of those, but I wanted to at least talk about what my strategy was for these. Um, I'm not going to go through all of these, but I want to talk high level strategy and then look at my best lineup to see what that looked like. So overall, I don't think my strategy Uh, my focus, my bets will surprise you by any means, was obviously looking at the KC-Cincinnati game. I was really bullish on the Niners-Dolphins game, which, again, I think uh, is not too surprising based on other contributors and and some of the, the talk at OWS. I felt great about the... 
Eagles pass game and just alone, not that game environment. And I liked the Raiders Chargers spot. So basically that was all I was focusing on. Um, I, I did note like a couple one-off guys. Like I really did think that Amon Ross St. Brown was in a really good spot. Um, you know, that game environment, I was, uh, I thought that there were some, some decent like one-off plays from thought that, uh, Etienne was, was, uh, a pretty solid play. Um, so there were those things, but for the most part, I was pretty strict around those game environments. And like I said, I felt really strongly about that. I felt that this gave me an opportunity to, you know, uh, that's essentially, I mentioned like three or four things and betting on those three or four things in different ways across nine lineups. I just felt so strongly that like something again, we're talking like one or two of nine rosters would hit. I thought that it was, there was such a high percentage chance of that happening because there was no way all of these spots could fail. (laughs) Uh, But apparently that was not really the case. So I really came around to liking the uh, Tua with one of Hill or Waddle, the the double stack, which uh, it, again, if you've been listening this year, you know that that was really one of those things that felt, you know, I was felt very strongly about early in the year and was just like so plus EV to do that, but was definitely price prohibitive on this slate. So I liked Tua plus one of those guys, even though that feels a little eh to me, um, just because like if Tua is having a game like that, the chances are that that production is coming mostly through those guys. Now, the irony here is that Trent Sherfield had a 75-yard touchdown to start the game, uh, but the idea here was, okay, let me get... Uh, access to that and then hope that they can push the game environment which like i said i I just really thought that of all teams you know i'm a big believer in how good this 49ers defense is but uh, i just thought that of all teams they would be able to to stretch them and challenge them in a way that they have not been really otherwise um so i like that but then i liked the niners coming back because again keep in mind that i'm Speaking specifically to FanDuel this week when I mentioned pricing and kind of how guys fit and everything. So that will be a little different than DraftKings um, because I play just a couple little things on DraftKings just to get some exposure and kind of like different builds because the pricing was a little bit different. But over on FanDuel, all of CMC, Debo Samuel and George Kittle felt uh, kind of underpriced, at least for their ceilings. Uh, Kittle, Kittle, not so much, but I thought that like Debo was 68 on FanDuel, which is uh, you know really low compared to other guys in that range or like with his ceiling. And then CMC was uh, at 82, which was you know you got Eckler at 92 and Jacobs at 95, which rightfully so in those cases. But for CMC to have the backfield and uh, you know for this injury to probably be a little bit less significant, 
just felt so, so good, <laughs> um, especially, like I said, assuming that the Dolphins were going to push the pace a little bit. So I just loved having uh, a tool lineup with two of those three guys coming back because I just felt like their ceilings were so, so solid for their prices. So I liked that a lot. And then um, I did also, so I I ended up having a a few Tua rosters, which by the way, I will say that I, I led into this saying that I came around to this, meaning that I liked this game environment, but I was not convinced that I was going to play Tua at quarterback. But because I did kind of come around to the fact that, you know, if that game really did start going back and forth because San Fran, you know, has the offense and could push them too, that that the top could really start to come off on that one. And as JM had pointed out, that this KC Cincinnati game, just there were more paths to that playing to like a 27 to 24 game, which what do you know? That's what it ended up as. Um, So I liked getting exposure to that game through skinny stacks. And so what I was looking at in that regard, and this was before P Ryan was in, which spoiler alert, I still didn't play him because I thought that well i kind of i needed uh i needed the edge going into the leverage going into the late games beat just because i i didn't have enough i needed the juice to get there right so if p ryan was gonna have a good game it wasn't gonna help vault me up and so um my favorite player on the bengals side of the ball was tyler boyd which is kind of funny because he's not a guy that i normally play or go to um, but especially on FanDuel where touchdowns are a little bit more important and you know not at, like that's that's really what matters um i felt a little bit better about him there uh, at his price and then two just you know he hasn't been a fixture people would be looking at he hasn't done anything without chase he's not going to do anything with him in but you know we that was gone over on the site this week that Boyd is actually m- more productive with both Chase and Higgins in because, you know, he can get underneath and they they can't pay as much attention to him. So he was my favorite play on the Cincinnati side of the ball. And then I was uh, bringing it back with either Sky Moore or MVS. MVS was my favorite because figured he has a little more ceiling, although Moore had been getting some run recently and was really, really cheap on FanDuel. I believe he was on DraftKings too. So those were my, that, that was kind of how I was approaching that game on these rosters. Now, you could make the argument that uh, P. Ryan was still a good play on those rosters because, you know, if I'm not putting Burrow uh, as a quarterback and I'm not playing Chase or Higgins, um, that that would make sense. You know, if you're thinking two is going to outscore Burrow, uh, Pacheco would have been, you know, a, f- a fine play on these rosters, too. But that's kind of how I was uh, building around those ones. I did also build some lineups uh, for, for that Cincinnati KC game. I had one burrow. I didn't love burrow this week, but, uh, that was almost more of a FOMO play than anything. So that one is probably, was probably my least 
favorite lineup. Um, but I did have one Burrow, and then I had a couple Mahomes also. And now, what's funny is that I had two Mahomes and one Hertz, and on Sunday morning, I changed that Hertz to a Mahomes because I just kept coming back to. I just, I mean, I truly felt like Mahomes had the highest ceiling on the slate. Like I could see him going for, you know, 350 and four relatively easily. And if he happens to like run one in or something and the game goes into overtime, you know, like there were just paths to him being, uh, you know, just clearly topping the slate. So I really liked him as a ceiling option. And I actually was excited to play him without Kelsey and to play Kittle in this spot because I thought that was a nice way to kind of leverage that, you know, still get exposure to that other game. Um, But then also build uniquely and have uh, one or two of these other pass catchers from the Chiefs, you know, because it was easy to build like Mahomes, MVS, Sky Moore and still have a bunch of salary left to to play with then. So, you know, to be able to get CMC, to be able to get one of the Dolphins receivers in, uh, and, and then, you know, like I said, Kittle on those rosters too was pretty interesting to me. So I liked kind of how all that fit. Uh, like I said, <laughs> ironic that I uh, swapped that Hertz lineup out. It actually, I still would not have cashed with the final score on that one because uh, I was about six points out of them out of the money out of getting a ticket if I had put that lineup in I know that because I made sure (laughs) I made mistakes in the past and I made sure that I at least put this one in another small tourney so I had exposure to that lineup and it ended up being my best lineup on the weekend like I said fortunately or unfortunately you know, for my mental, my sanity, uh, wouldn't have finished in the money there anyways. So I can't kick myself in hindsight for not having it, but, uh, yeah, Hertz and AJB, uh, plus Quez Watkins was a combo that I thought was really, really appealing here. Quez basically, because, you know, if you're, you're paying up for Hertz and AJB, Quez kind of uh, gets your, you know, gets you some exposure to ceiling if you think that Hertz is going off. Granted, usually Hertz's ceiling is coming through the ground, but that's kind of, you know, that's one of those situations where you try to uh, put a a lower priced, higher ceiling, you know, volatile receiver. If you're planning on being right on that roster, you know, like Jam said, always says, if, you know, once it's on the roster, you're betting on those things happening. And so I kind of liked Quez Watkins there in that case, just because they were really going to have to be uh, so pass heavy in this spot where the Titans run defense is legit, like they are quite good. Um, so, so yeah. And so this is a a side note here, but something that I thought about with this game is that I think sometimes we slightly overweight 
game environments. Now I want to add a disclaimer here and say that I'm only using this as an opportunity to explore this a little bit. This really, this is kind of a results-based thing um, because these other top game environments did fail. But because this is the NFL and that can happen, I do think this is at least worth mentioning. And so essentially what I'm talking about is that sometimes I think we slightly overrate game environments. Now, you're saying, what the hell, B. Fritz? You're just saying that game environments are the most important thing to identify to start the podcast. Like, what do you, you know, you're going back on that. No, what I what I mean here is we over rate it relative to the strength of a given team. So like in this situation, everything lined up for the Eagles to score four or five touchdowns and through the air. Like they just, they didn't have a path to do that on the ground. You know, they've had some rough games recently. They had every reason to, try to just smash the Titans here and, you know, do everything they can to get some momentum back. Um, this is, you know, a, a true revenge game for AJ Brown and that it felt like their separation wasn't the, uh, you know, wasn't the, the, the happiest of divorces. Um, so it just there was so much upside on this Eagles offense. And I think it's easy to say like, oh, well, the Titans aren't going to push this game environment. So, you know, we we don't really need to consider those guys as much when really this is a place where, you know, you could pretty easily expect Sirianni to allow them to stay on the gas and, um you know, really get some juice back to try to finish the season off strong and as the NFC's best team. So, uh, like I said, just just some thoughts there. Uh, like, don't take that too strongly and say, oh, game environments don't matter. We just have to look at good teams. No, but I think the, the good teams part is the important part, right? Uh, and just acknowledging, you know, like we've talked about with the Cincinnati KC game, like, oh, this game, there's more paths to it playing under what the field would expect then is being accounted for. So, all right, aside over, let's finish up this chat about my uh, rosters here. The only roster that I didn't talk about was the lone Justin Herbert roster that I had. Like I said, I liked that game a lot. Uh, ironically, I did not end up on Josh Jacobs or Devonte Adams, which... There you go. Losing weekend in a nutshell. Uh, this is interesting to me because it was one of my first notes coming into the weekend that I wanted one of these guys on every roster. Oh, here it is now. I'm looking at it right now. So it wasn't just it wasn't just earlier in the week. This was part of my later week notes also. I wanted Tyreek or Waddle on every roster. I wanted Jacob, Jacobs or Adams on every roster. Obviously, you can see the problem there. Uh, very, very expensive guys. So what happened was uh, essentially I just I, I couldn't take my eyes off of that um, Miami offense and the 
those the ceilings on those guys relative to where I thought the field would be owning them was just too too good. <laughs> um, so it was one of those things where in hindsight, it's easy to say, how in the hell did I not end up with Jacobs or Adams on uh, every roster, one of them on every roster and both of them on one or two, right? Just full game stack with Herbert here. So I think that is a little bit of a miss because I was essentially, I mean, I locked McCaffrey in basically on FanDuel because of his price. I just thought it was, it was just far too low and he was going to go relatively unowned. Um, It turns out that wasn't the case. He ended up being 20% here, but that was one of those things where I was like, I will kick myself later if I am not on CMC in this spot. Uh, It just, all the things set up um, and just, yeah, I didn't want to pass on CMC at that. So I stuck with him probably a little too hard because it would have made sense to get to Jacob somewhere or get to Devante somewhere, especially on this roster. I think that's the biggest mistake here. Um, but let's take a look at this roster because it ended up being my highest scoring roster. Uh, good for 805th place. So not even close really to the the cash line there of those top 5%, but it was within 15 points. This was a 127.9 and the 200th spot, uh, the cash line was 142 on in this FanDuel qualifier. So the lineup was Justin Herbert, CMC, David Montgomery, Tyreek Hill, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Joshua Palmer, Gerald Everett, Debo Samuel, and Raiders D. Okay, so we'll kind of wrap this section up with me just talking through this lineup. Basically here, uh, it went uh, Chargers heavy, basically. Herbert, Palmer, Everett. I liked the... Basically, the fact that they would have to throw in this game, uh, they had some injuries on the line, and so I thought that they would not have too much success on the ground, which doesn't really mean that much for Austin Eckler because he could still get there through the air. But um, Joshua Palmer was, uh, I really liked him as he's still in this role this really strong role just because Keenan Allen is back doesn't really it's not a step back for Palmer and they've uh, been very comfortable Herbert's been very comfortable using him and throwing to him so I really liked him there as probably going mostly overlooked Uh, he was under 10% owned and then Gerald Everett was again uh, just a purely like bet on the lineup here uh, he was a very reasonable price on FanDuel and, you know, figure basically nobody be looking to him. Everybody be playing Foster Moreau at that price point. So uh, 4.7% there. They both had OK games. Same with Herbert. OK, nothing, nothing great. I mean, <laughs> this is crazy, though. Herbert threw the ball 47 times, just broke 300 yards, only one touchdown. You know, JM pointed out. Uh, just his scores this year have just really not been 
that great, um, which is just, it seems crazy based on how much they throw and the talent on that offense, but they just have not had these ceiling games. So the obvious, like I said, the leak here is that uh, my bring back was Raiders defense. Um, so no Adams um, or Jacobs here. So uh, my my secondary stack then was CMC and Debo Samuel, bringing it back with Tyreek Hill. You can see here, and, and again, I'm not saying this is right. I'm acknowledging the miss given this is what I'm betting on on one roster. Um, but the ceiling here was just ridiculous to me to be able to get CMC, Tyreek Hill and Debo Samuel on the same roster. You know, if that game ends up being 33 to 30 instead of uh, 33, 17, it just, yeah, it just seemed like there was so much room for goodness there. Uh, and then Marcus Valdez Scantling, and David Montgomery were kind of floating plays. David Montgomery just felt mispriced on FanDuel for his role, uh, you know, probably going relatively overlooked. Touchdowns on FanDuel are great. And for him in that backfield, you know, I expected the Bears to score a couple times, but nothing crazy. I liked him better than Fields in this spot, uh, at least to have a chance at a touchdown or two and potentially over 100 yards. So, that was that. And then, yeah, MVS was really just a price and game environment standpoint. Uh, so that was this roster. Probably should have looked at uh, Jacobs or Devante and loosened the reins on that Miami San Fran game a little bit. But alas, here we are. So, yeah, all in all, a frustrating weekend in uh, that I had, you know, nine opportunities to get into this contest um, and did not make that happen. And a lot of that came on the the backs of these game environments simply not hitting. So if you were there too, I totally feel you. Not fun, but here we are. Uh, oh, I did want to do one last thing here. I wanted to take a look at the winning lineup for this uh, qualifier <laughs> because it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad. So the the winning lineup here was Jalen Hurts, Kyron Williams, CMC, Deontay Johnson, Christian Watson, Garrett Wilson, Evan Engram, AJ Brown, Brown's defense. So OWS fam, what do you notice about this lineup? Um, because I would imagine you, you notice something right off the bat. We do have a stack. We've got Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown. And this is essentially what vaulted him to the top of this leaderboard with the addition of Brown's defense. This is also a good opportunity to say that, uh, wow, like what a crazy week for the Browns defense, especially in a week like this, that wasn't crazy high scoring for a defense to score 30 points. Uh, you essentially didn't have a chance at the top, you know, 2%, maybe 1%, but you know, you didn't have the top chance at the top score on the slate. If you did not have the Cleveland Browns defense, 
who in this tourney was 2.5% owned. So it wasn't a lot. Um, they were actually, looks like they were max salary on FanDuel here. I don't remember what they were on DK. But outside of these 30-ish point games, you've got Kyron Williams and Christian McCaffrey at running back. Okay. CMC, obvious. We talked about that. Kyron Williams, obviously just going for a floor like a uh, a cheap guy here but like really i don't know crazy um tight end i'm gonna jump around here a little bit tight end was evan engram you know pretty random no other uh lions or jags on this lineup then receivers were deanta johnson christian watson garrett wilson random 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 (laughs) So, uh, just to point this out, this is the type of lineup that wins on a week like this. And this is, you know, good, good on, good on, uh, Elwell 21 here for scoring himself a ticket, but this is not a sharp lineup. Uh, there is no correlation here. You know, guys like Kyron Williams, Deontay Johnson, Evan Engram are totally random. You know, you at least have Christian Watson and Garrett Wilson, who are ceiling guys. Uh, he, You know, he had the nice stack for the Eagles guys. And then the Browns defense was obviously a solid play. So, you know, it wasn't just a, a complete luck lineup. But the idea here being this was a week in which you could have built really sharp correlated lineups and you would not have won tournaments because that's just not the kind of week it was. So granted, this is a single example, but I wanted to point that out because when I was looking to see uh, what was at the top of this tourney, I just kind of uh, chuckled to myself when I saw that lineup because it's just like, yep, yep, this is this is what we're working with. Okay. Strat and chat over. That was actually quite a bit longer than I was expecting. But here we go. Let's roll right into fluke or fail. The idea of this section is just to look at the highest skies on this slate, see where we missed, if we missed, or if it was simply a fluky performance. All right, Devontae Adams. I mean, I'm just getting sick of saying his name and... Uh, not having played him, um, which is just so ridiculous for me because uh, I did this with Odell Beckham years back. Like he had like one or two of those games. And this is a little bit different because he was was young and unknown. Um, but I essentially was just like, OK, well, I'm not going to play him. I'm not going to play him now. I'm not going to play him now. And it just I could not get over that. And Devante has been a little bit of the same for me. But the reason that it's crazy is because. I loved Devante on the Packers. I was always like I was always so high on him and was, you know, all, just about always rostering him above the field in spots that I felt really good about or where it made sense in that slate. So, uh, yeah, brutal to not have him again. But anyways, I digress. This is not about me. This is about the scores. Forty point seven. I mean, Dude is just doing his thing. Not much else to be said there. Other than this game environment was great for ceiling from either Devante and or Josh Jacobs. Amon Ra St. Brown, number two spot. I don't think this is too surprising just because uh, he's, you know, he's just been so solid and 
a game like this was bound to happen eventually. 37.6 points. Uh, 11 catches. Uh, it's funny. Almost 110 yards. 114 yards. And then two touchdowns. Third spot. Jalen Hurts, 37.4. That was on the back of almost 400 yards passing and three touchdowns and then one on the ground. A.J. Brown coming right back with 34.9 points. Uh, over 100 yards on 10 targets, two touchdowns. Yeah, you know, this is one of those spots where probably many of us were in hindsight saying, damn, how did I not see that coming? Um, and I did. And I just pulled <laughs> pulled the lineup. Actually played one of the things I did play in DK was an early only lineup. And uh, apparently I made a trash lineup on there because I had these two guys and uh, St. <laughs> Brown. And I, you know, like... I think I got because I played it in a hundo um, and I got like 11th place. So pretty brutal to have those guys and not be able to grab one of the first couple uh, spots, top spots. Uh, Tyreek Hill, at 32.6 points. Uh, just such a great leverage play on this slate. He did his thing on 14 targets, almost 150 yards and a touchdown. Tyler Lockett at 30.8. Lockett and Metcalf, his uh, his broski, just missed the 30-point mark here. A couple, couple down here on the list from him, which, by the way, you can do this on your DK app. I suggest that you, know, you can listen here, but check these scores out on the DK Live app weekly. It just kind of gives you an idea of who was up at the top was that close to what your player pool was? And if not, you know, why? Just kind of like looking into that a little bit, kind of like what we're doing here, but you can do it for yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, Lockett and Metcalf, that passing game just really blew up, I think, relative to what was expected because the Rams pushed them. And that wasn't uh, something that was <laughs> expected to happen. Joe Burrow, 30.04 points. Not too surprising there. Best game environment on the slate, or supposedly. Uh, but no, obviously, just, you know, he was in a great spot there. And then Brown's defense, 30 points on the dot. Just absolutely wild. Return touchdown, uh, special teams-wise, and then two turnover touchdowns, just yeah, absolutely crazy props to them and props to any of you that rostered them. All right, that will do it for Fluker Fail. Let's get into some lineup reviews. We've got two lineups to check out this week. First one is submitted by Bench Points. So this is on FanDuel here. And we've got a field size of 13,000. Lineup. So ironically, this is a 142. So this was the cash line in uh, the, that qualifier I was talking about. So congrats. You would have would have gotten yourself a ticket. Lineup was Joe Burrow, Samaj P. Ryan, Isaiah Pacheco, A.J. Brown, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Josh Oliver, Baltimore tight end, 
just because I didn't know that. Uh, Delvin Cook, Baltimore Ravens, D. All right, so let's start out with the obvious pieces. We've got Joe Burrow, Samaje P. Ryan, bringing it back with Isaiah Pacheco. So this is a little bit of a different build in that Joe Burrow is paired with the running back and no receivers here. And then obviously the other running back and Isaiah Pacheco coming back on the other side. Now, I think that Burrow to Pirine is totally fine because Pirine has been used out of the backfield as a pass catcher. Um, and, you know, just like with the volume that Burrow is probably going to see here, I think that's solid. Uh, I think in a field this size, it's maybe a little iffy um, just because, you know, normally this feels a bit uh, more viable in smaller fields where you're just kind of saying like, oh, yeah, I think this team's going to score five touchdowns and I'm hoping to soak up all of them between these two guys, which just loses a little bit in the, the larger the field gets because you just need uh so, you know, you just need ultimate ceiling. But however, that said, if you saw this game, you know, going to five, six touchdowns, then then it makes sense. Uh, I think that I still would have put in a receiver here. Like if you were really thinking that Burrow was going to be outscoring all of these other top end guys that he would have at least one receiver that was you know, he was bringing with him. Um, so I think any of those guys would have been viable here. I think that would have on paper made more sense than playing AJ Brown. Uh, uh, excuse me, playing chase would have made more sense than playing AJ Brown. Obviously from a results standpoint that worked out, um, but it would have made more sense on this given roster to have paired AJ Brown or excuse me, to have paired Chase with Burrow instead of choosing a high-priced receiver not attached to your quarterback. Uh, same thing goes for like Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks. I think that, you know, you probably could have swapped one of those guys out for either Higgins or Boyd. Uh, obviously had the the A.J. Brown, Traylon Burks, uh, skinny stack here. So that made sense. Again, I think the Traylon Burks was, I just don't think that that was the, uh, a great play there against uh, a, a Philadelphia defense that is just so solid. Um, yes, they're going to have to be throwing, but besides stopping Derrick Henry, they really didn't have anybody else in that op- offense to stop besides Traylon Burks. So I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a bad play, but I think in the context of this roster, uh, I don't know the price of Traylon Burks, but I think that, again, I think something like um, Boyd in this spot um, could have made a little bit more sense. Garrett Wilson, yeah, he's kind of the one-off here, right? You're just playing him for ceiling. You can get a little bit chalky when you have some of these other, uh, you know, these other stacks making you unique. Josh Oliver at tight end. Uh, I think this was really just trying to go as low as you could to get some of the other high price guys in hoping that um, there are going to be some injuries there. But uh, and then flex was Dalvin. 
This one is obviously a skinny stack with Garrett Wilson. Um, I'm guessing probably also just trying to uh, leverage low ownership here because uh, Delvin just really wasn't going to be that, you know, wasn't really going to be looked at so much. So I think that it's uh, a little out there because the Jets defense is pretty good. But at the same token, Delvin has had his like true Delvin uh, role recently. And to get that in this spot where he was going to be low owned and to kind of differentiate yourself from a chalky Garrett Wilson and, and have a correlation there, you know, not playing Justin Jefferson, I think, you know, is still viable and it makes sense for a larger field tourney. So something like 10,000 plus. And then Ravens defense there. So, um, yeah, just trying to bank off of Russell Wilson sucking. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's the lineup there. Good for 142. And, yeah, I think the the overall, you know, general feedback here would just be just think about because JM has been talking about this a ton, especially on winner circle podcasts. But like when you are putting a quarterback, you know, you're saying Joe Burrow is going to have the best score on the slate because he was not a cheap guy here. You have to account for the fact that he on this roster, you're saying he outscores Patrick Mahomes. He outscores Jalen Hurts. He, he outscores to uh, Justin Herbert. So that this lineup should tell that story and say, how is Burrow doing that? And again, I think P Ryan is okay here, but I think that having one other receiver on this lineup would have um, made a little bit stronger from a plus EV standpoint. Nice job, Ben's points at getting in the money there. All right, second and last review for the pod today is my friend Sports for Profit in Discord, uh, Roosevelt on DraftKings, who got himself a first place NME hit. Uh, This guy has been uh, in contact with me this season, and I believe I reviewed a lineup a few weeks back and finally hit. So just awesome work. Love to see it. Uh, You know, you guys just coming back in here and grinding week after week and, you know, especially listening to this podcast and being in the reflection thread or channel on discord, um, seeing that pay off for you is just awesome. Uh, you know, it's just a testament to the work you're putting in and just, you know, sharpening your process and everything. So big ups here. Let's take a look at this lineup, which is pretty sick by the way. So we've got uh, a whopping 220 on DraftKings. The lineup was Jared Goff, DeAndre Swift, Zonovan Knight, Amonra St. Brown, Christian Kirk, Garrett Wilson, Ty Conklin, Devontae Adams, Browns defense. All right. Well, because we finished there, Browns defense was obviously what vaulted you to the top there. So (laughs) amongst other things, but that one, you know, you had to have that D, like I said earlier, to actually grab first place. So nice work there. Let's take a look at the backbone of this lineup, which was Jared Goff, DeAndre Swift, and Amon Ra St. Brown, bringing it back with Christian Kirk. Man, what a stack. I love this. This is just a classic MME correlation here. So good. It makes 
so much sense again in hindsight like you know people were on this game but who was actually pulling the trigger on golf swift and st brown nobody right <laughs> like very very few people uh swift alone was 4.3 percent Jared goff alone was 6.5 percent so you know roosevelt was for sure the only guy that had uh, or you know pretty close to the only guy that had those three in this tourney just like super sharp because yeah st brown obviously but then swift you know he's got ceiling there um, paired with golf so just really really solid bringing it back with christian kirk uh, you know, no surprises there, but it makes sense to be bringing back a, a wide receiver from the other team. And then this was actually kind of a unique approach here, which was Zonovan Knight, Garrett Wilson, and Ty Conklin with no uh, Vikings on this roster. So I thought that was pretty interesting, but I think it actually works because, granted, I think having a Viking on this roster would have made it very strong also, but I will say that I don't think there were any particularly strong Vikings plays this week. So I can totally understand why there wasn't a Viking on this roster, but with these guys, you're, you're saving a ton of salary and you have a, you know, a pretty solid floor and ceiling combo block here. So I think that was really sharp uh, to kind of build in some almost some floor to this roster with, you know, that obviously uh, very kind of like low, not even low probability, but that more like risky volatile ceiling stack that we started with. Uh, And then obviously in the flex, Devontae Adams, who smashed at 40 points. So just putting a guy in the flex in the late games, who you know has a chance to go off and get you 35 or 40 points, which he did. Uh, what an awesome roster, Roosevelt's. Uh, again, big props. So glad to see you finally hit. Uh, it's awesome, uh, you know, to be in this community and you know just seeing the the fam succeed. It makes all of this fun. Makes it. <laughs> hurt less uh, for when my personal performances are not what I would hope they would be. So uh, big props to you guys. And yeah, thanks for having fun and joining me on another week with the Reflection Pod. We're just trying to have fun and learn and become better, more profitable DFS players. And if you've made it thus far, you are on your way to doing so. Thanks so much for hanging out, guys. I will see you at the Tapo Leaderboards this coming weekend.